electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with uh, John Ford, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. Today, Pinterest bumps, Teladoc slumps. Got this overrated metric for Apple and the CEO of ServiceNow. We're going to get to all of that, but we're going to start with Meta. Uh, was surging this morning as daily and monthly active users bounced back. Stock had been cut in half this year prior to those results, and Julia is all over today, JB. Yeah, it's just really interesting, Carl, because there were various warning signs here, including the company giving guidance of between 28 and 30 billion revenue in the second quarter. Look, guys, it's worth noting that if Meta hits the lower end of that guidance, its revenue would actually be declining year over year, which has never happened before. This quarter's 7% revenue growth was its slowest revenue growth that we've seen since the company went public. But there is just so much relief now that they have been able to reaccelerate those daily active users. So, John, it seems like investors had really low expectations here. Well, they have low expectations in part because Facebook, Meta worked so hard to lower expectations last mm-hmm. quarter, right? This is what we were talking about three months ago. Are they bluffing? <laughs> well, maybe yeah. not bluffing, sandbagging a bit, right? And, and the beat here was on the earnings line and they expressed confidence. So both of those gave me the sense that they did make things out to perhaps be a bit on the worst side. Maybe they weren't sure, uh, but they, they continue to project things that aren't too exciting. There could be upside from here, right? There could be upside, and I thought that the key upside is gonna come from Reels. I mean, they revealed that 20% of activity on the platform is in this short form video format reels and they've been very clear that they are under monetizing reels that means there's big potential down the line so they did say that we should expect the fact that people are spending more time in reels to be a factor that's slow in growth for this year but can you imagine a fifth of their activity on the platform is being under monetized d it seems like that's huge upside potential Um, And in the larger picture, Julia, we spoke a little bit about this yesterday, but just, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's ability, willingness to pivot the business when he sees that he needs to, Reels is that story. He's trying to catch up with TikTok, but the whole business sort of changes here. He's basically going all in on this algorithmic-driven TikTok model and kind of pushing the social graph aside. Is it going to work as well this time? Is he going to be able to pivot? Because I just wonder... Do people have TikTok? At the time when they were kind of going to mobile, there wasn't really much of an alternative. Do people already know where to go? I mean, I hate that feature of Instagram. I'm always turning it off, you know, hide those suggested posts for a month. But are people responding to it? Do you think they'll continue to? Well, look, the the user engagement, the answer is yes, they are responding to it. Um, They're trying to figure out how to make it work as well for advertisers as it's working for users. I mean, I think Meta, Facebook would say that their version of TikTok, their Reels is different. It is more customized to the way that people interact in that social way on the platform. But they get that people want the shortest form 
content possible. And Mark Zuckerberg himself pointed out that the company has gone through these various pivots. You know, back in the day, it was from desktop to mobile. Then it was from, you know, the, the text format to, to photos and video. So they do have experience with that. I think the real question, though, is, Carl, how they balance these investments with these long-term investments. I mean, it wasn't that many quarters ago that they renamed the company Meta and they mm -hmm. declared their commitment to investing um, for these <laughs> long-term projects um, in the metaverse. And now they're saying, well, we're going to slow down that spending because our overall revenue growth rate is slowed. We have to slow down the spending of these projects that aren't going to pay off for a long time. Yep. You can almost look back to October when they made the name change and see what the stock's done since then. Uh, Julia, ad impressions up 15. When you roll in uh, what we learned from YouTube and Snap and Twitter today, how would we characterize the overall ad market right now? Well, I think it's not as bad as many had feared. Yes, there are these macroeconomic pressures, but I think at the end of the day, advertisers want to make sure they're getting their most bang for the buck. And so I think because of that, these platforms where you can target consumers and also measure the impact shows that they're going to be um, perhaps a little bit more resilient than maybe an old-fashioned format like, say, radio or outdoor um, or even, say, like print advertising. I mean, there are formats that are going to continue, even traditional television advertising, those formats will continue to gradually move to digital formats. Some advertisers are going to go for the digital video ads. We heard about that a bit on the Comcast call today. But I think that this sector is a little bit more resilient than some had feared when we got those, those warnings from Snap. Yeah. Uh, Julia, thanks. Appreciate it very much. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Julia Borston joining us this morning as well on Social Media's Future. Evercore's head of Internet Research, Mark Mahaney. Mark, it sounds like you would agree that at least if you look at a two-year stack, certainly uh, Meta's revenue growth remains pretty resilient. I think that's right, Carl. And I think this is a really key critical point for investors. If you look at the reported revenue growth and you put it in a vacuum, you see this dramatically slow uh, levels. But you know, we had this we had this um, extreme event two years ago that created that COVID that created these uh, wild comps, wild. Uh, so a year ago in the June quarter, uh, Facebook's revenue growth was well above 40 percent. Um, uh, you have to factor that in when you're looking at what the growth is like in the June quarter. So if you do that, you see that the revenue growth has been very consistent, very robust. It's impressive. There's not the mad dramatic slowdown that you would think of if you just looked at the reported growth number. Right. Do you think the market is going to be as tolerant in the future now of the investments that Metaverse is going to require? So I think there were three interesting changes that Facebook made in this earnings call and explains why the stock's up double digit percent. The last quarter and the quarters before that, it was we're going to spend on, uh, on uh, reality labs and meta, the, the future Metaverse, regardless of what happens to the rest of the P&L. This time, Zuckerberg went out of his way to say that wouldn't be the case. And in fact, they then lowered their OPEX yeah. growth operating expense growth for the year. That was really important. The second thing is last quarter was all about TikTok fear. If you listen to management commentary, this time it was about TikTok uh, confidence. They think that they mm -hmm. they can create a compelling alternative. And the um, and the, the third thing is last quarter, they complained a lot about the Apple privacy changes, how it was dramatically negatively impacting their business. This time it was confidence about their ability to recreate the ad tech stack. Night and day difference in the tone. And that helps explain the stock up. Yeah, they've done that over the years, Mark. Uh, really expert and under-promising and over-delivering, taking the hits and then beating them later. Uh, Mark, just on the broader 
ad landscape. So much has changed over the last year in light of Apple's uh, iOS and privacy changes. And I wonder, um, what do you think, who is the new landscape set up for? You hear both Google and Facebook talk more and more in their calls in the latest quarter about using AI and machine learning in their technology. Do they maintain their relative duopoly in this environment? My guess is that they do, Deirdre. Uh, you know, it's the company with the most data and the best application of, of technology against that data that wins. And so if you have invested years in AI and machine learning like Facebook and Google have, you're probably going to be the first to figure out a post-privacy ad attribution model. Look, there are a lot of headwinds here facing uh, advertising models. Why I like uh, Facebook so much here is that I think you're going to have revenue growth acceleration as we hopefully move beyond the Ukraine at some point, hopefully move beyond macro at some point, And then they solve the ad attribution model problem that was created in part by Apple. And then they start monetizing reels. Like there are three major revenue growth levers here. They're staring us right in the face. Have they executed against them well yet? No, but you know, give this company enough time, six to 12 months, you're gonna see that revenue growth reaccelerate and this stock will not stay at 13 times earnings. It's one of the best assets you can buy right here, right now in consumer tech, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mark, uh, good morning again. It's John. First of all, I mean, nobody wanted to hear this three months ago, but my contention argument is maybe Facebook's not fundamentally broken, right? The, the, bull, the bull case is still somewhat alive, whereas the bears three months ago were like, oh, Facebook's falling apart. You know, it's not working anymore. This quarter, doesn't it? argues that the fundamental things that were strong about Facebook in the past, maybe not every revenue not being turned, maybe not every expense being tightly managed, but the fundamental assets that Facebook has are still protected and they can still grow off of them, right? John, I completely, completely 100% agree with you. This is a classic DHQ stock in my book dislocated high quality uh, asset. Look, it's still the leading global um, streaming media uh, uh, social media asset in the world, with the two largest messaging applications in the world. And there's a lot of that's on the come here. Now they've got to monetize reels. They did it with stories. I bet you they do it with reels. They got to figure out this post privacy ad attribution model. They've got the scale, the technology and the resources to do that. So that's still all on the come. And then they've got a business model that still generates 30 billion a year in cash. So they've got plenty of firepower to invest and firepower to return that cash to shareholders. This is it's a growth it's a growth story with a really nice value underpinning. And again, you can get this at 13 times earnings. This is rare air territory for a growth investor. This is what you look for. Although, how would you uh, compare it to some other uh, opportunities? And on a day where we're watching some of the resets on pins, for example, and even Twitter's quarter. You know, Twitter was interesting. Uh, you know, there was a uh, the interpretation earlier this week was that Twitter sold to Musk because the quarter must be looking bad. That actually wasn't the case. Twitter came out with numbers today that showed very consistent revenue growth and uh, their unit metrics, which is what the stock trades off on more than anything else for right or for wrong. I think it's for right. Uh, the unit metrics that MDAUs, the daily average users, actually showed nice acceleration and growth. So I found that interesting. To me, you look at Twitter, if, it, if we hadn't have been in a deal situation, I think Twitter would have traded up on these results uh, today. Pinterest still has a lot of issues to work through. That's a different asset. Uh, but Twitter actually is showing reasonable, reasonably strong fundamental trends right here, right now. Yeah, uh, still a discount to the offer, and we're going to find out if that's related to some of the closing uncertainties that we're facing. Uh, that's a discussion for another time. Mark, good stuff as always. Thank you. Mark Thanks, Mahaney. Carl. Now let's get to another earnings mover. Shares of ServiceNow rallying up more than 6% after the company posted a strong quarter. Subscription revenue growing by 29%. 
near perfect customer retention rate. Joining us now, ServiceNow's CEO, Bill McDermott. Uh, Bill, good morning. Um, and uh, th this is quite a week for enterprise software. So that's where I want to start with you. In particular, enterprise demand. I mean, we've got subscription models now that are making software stickier. But what is the shift in this economy? There must be some either in deal size, time to close deals, ability to, to grow your share of wallet. Well, great to be with you, John. We're in a sustained demand environment in the enterprise. And as you know, ServiceNow is single-mindedly focused on the enterprise, and we are the market leader in business software in the cloud and the enterprise. And I think that's really making the difference in our results. Uh, one of the customers that we talked to, uh, I think, put it well. If we slow investment in the short term, we'll lose ground in the midterm, and we won't be in business in the long term. So you're going to see enterprise customers invest in business software to deal with all the challenges of inflation, interest rates, supply chain dislocations, wars in Ukraine. All these things come into focus, and the only way out is software. This is the most deflationary force in the world and will continue to grow really fast. All right, now different business, but we just had Cristiano Amon of Qualcomm, also had strong earnings uh, with us here last hour. I asked him about M&A and costs, and he said he's leaning in to opportunities to grow even inorganically. What's your mindset about, I mean, yeah, the environment is a bit choppy and tricky, but perhaps there are some deals to be had out there. That's absolutely true, John. You know, the reality for ServiceNow is, you know, we just did a, a, a beat. Uh, we beat analyst expectations and we raised our guidance. And the company's operating at the rule of 60, which is a combination of revenue growth and free cash flow. So we're a highly profitable company and we're growing really fast. So any asset that you would acquire has a really high bar for service now, mm -hmm. because most anyone I can imagine right now would be dilutive either to the top mm -hmm. or the bottom line. Now, there will be opportunities out there because the capital markets are not as interested in companies that can just grow but not make profits. So we're keeping our eye on the marketplace. We have an organic growth strategy, but we're very open-minded and uh, there's nothing that's getting past us. Hey, Bill, it's Deirdre. Good to see you. So you're talking about the sustained demand environment. What are you guys doing with your pricing power? I know you were asked this on the call last night, but I'm not sure I heard a direct answer. Can you, will you raise prices for your customers this year? Thank you, Deirdre. We don't have to raise prices for our customers. Uh, we have so much opportunity in geographies around the world, in various industries and personas across the enterprise. So we believe we're in a sustained demand environment. We believe our customers need us now more than ever. We're building trust, and we don't believe a price increase is the right way to gain share and improve our business results. But what we are clear about is we deliver business impact for our customers, and we should be fair in our pricing, and we should get a fair price for our software, which is what's happening. And customers are very smart. They're not buying software. They're buying business outcomes. How can they get to serve their customers and their employees with greater experiences and do so super fast. And that's what we're great at. 
Hey, Bill, uh, apologies for leaning on the macro conversation, but I do wonder if you think the risks about Europe in the quarters to come are being overstated or understated? Well, I think it uh, depends, Carl. You know, there may be a consumer side of this conversation that will be more heavily impacted than the business enterprises. Uh, the business enterprises, you might have um, a slowdown here or there based on a company that should have done a transaction that didn't do a transaction because they're reorienting a supply chain or some other issue that's driven by the war in Ukraine. Uh, in Ukraine. Um, but and on the whole, the demand case for Europe, at least as it relates to the enterprise, I think will be very strong. And in many cases, Europe has to catch up, especially with the cloud formation. Because, Carl, here's what's happening. We're in a war for talent. Nobody's talking about this war for talent. But if you don't give employees a great experience, you're not going to keep them. And to recruit them, hire them, onboard them, train them, and give them all the services they need, you need a digital platform like ServiceNow. And then as it relates to revenue, two years ago, one third of the revenue was getting generated digitally. Today, two thirds of the revenue for companies in Europe and elsewhere has to be generated through digital transformation. So the investment thesis for ServiceNow and a platform like this is undeniable. I want to give you one thing finally, Carl, and this hasn't been covered very well. There's 750 million new applications that will be built by enterprises for enterprises on a low-code platform basis like ServiceNow. And what decision makers want is they want those applications built by citizen developers that work in the companies, but they want enterprise coherence and security. Again, a force multiplier for ServiceNow. So the enterprise will be strong. How do you grow the platform aspect of ServiceNow as the economy starts to open back up? I mean, you've been pushing hard on that on the partnerships uh, and, and utilizing the, the code base. But what's your strategy to do that in this environment? Well, John, 100 percent. You know, we have the top 10 systems integrators in the world right now that have at least a billion dollars or more business plan with ServiceNow. So all the big brands have adopted us as the standard for digital transformation and the Now platform as their biggest growth opportunity. And beyond that, there's lots of, lots of mid-size and small systems integrators in each of the industries, geographies, and personas we serve that can build businesses around the ServiceNow platform. We're just getting started. We like to say that on TechCheck as well. <laughs> uh, and after earnings, the, the stock so far today, maybe it's just getting started, but it's up about 7%. Bill McDermott, thank you. Thank you very much, John. Thank you, Deirdre. Thank you, Carl. See you soon. <laughs> And we are just getting started. Still to come on the show, Teladoc shares getting crushed on results. Comcast, our parent company, also moving sharply lower on some subscriber losses, plus much more on Meta. Those shares finally seeing a day in the green. Tech check, just getting started. Sound like a broken record. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Let's get a gut check on Spotify. Shareholders facing the music with the stock down more than 12% yesterday. Set an all-time low after results disappointed. Slow paid subscriber growth. And despite that, shares headed slightly higher this morning. Wall Street, though, singing a different tune. Guggenheim and Pivotal both downgrading to neutral and slashing they're slashing their price targets, I should say, by more than $100 a piece as they see a longer path toward double-digit revenue growth. Shares are more than 65% off their highs of the year, so the volume coming down, but not as much as uh, some stocks, Dee. <laughs> no, not as much as Teladoc. What a story here. Uh, shares absolutely crushed now, down almost 50% today. Weak full-year guidance and a miss on Q1. It's also a $6.6 billion impairment charge stemming from its $18.5 billion acquisition of Livongo back in 2020. This once pandemic, darling, this is another sign, guys. The stay-at-home trade has lost its luster. The stock now down 90% from its all-time high in February of 2021. Teladoc also hit with a bunch of downgrades this morning. One investor who feels this pain, Kathy Wood, you probably already know, the ARC, the number one shareholder in Teladoc, with a 12% stake as of yesterday's close. She has been buying all the way down, trying to catch that falling knife. And guys, pretty much a disaster today. I feel like there's been a shift over the last few weeks. He used to talk about how these pandemic darlings, John, were approaching pre-pandemic levels as if maybe it would stop there. But that's not the case. In the case of Teladoc, you know, it's well below those 2019 levels, approaching that IPO price even. Maybe betting against innovation isn't always such a bad idea. I mean, I don't know. Carl, um, sometimes innovation doesn't show up as quickly as the valuation would suggest. Or sometimes the, there's a mismatch on price. Certainly Kramer's point this morning was that the moats that we thought were built into some of these models aren't nearly what, or what we thought they were. And as a result, maybe the next stage really is some consolidation in these industries, right? Why else would you have the ability to work hybrid as well as we do, but not want to see your doctor over the phone. It's a really interesting contrast between Teladoc and Meta, right? Because Teladoc, people assumed a moat was there that wasn't necessarily Meta, bad quarter. People said, oh, there's no moat for Facebook anymore. <laughs> Their business is just being run through. It doesn't look like that's happening. Well, I mean, a lot of folks, a lot of the analysts this morning, John, are talking about competition. Um, but is that the problem or is it a fundamental business model problem? I spoke to Rajiv Ranaki this morning. He's the Anthem president of Digital Platforms. They're obviously making a ton of investments in this space. And he says that it is the business model for these solutions like Teladoc to work. They need to be integrated with the rest of the care system. And when it comes down to it, we talk about this all the time, guys. Is it a platform or a feature? Teladoc looking increasingly like a feature and one that other bigger healthcare players can actually create themselves. Yep. Uh, the high 308 back in uh, February of last year. Uh, pretty amazing. Meantime, our parent company, Comcast, moving sharply lower today, as you heard D say, despite the earnings beat. Why is that? Julia Borston has some uh, wrinkles on the broadband net ads, JB. 
Yeah, Comcast beating expectations on the top and bottom line, but we're seeing that stock sell off and it seems to be on concerns about broadband subscription growth. And that is really the thing that typically moves Comcast shares. And the company reported 262,000 broadband net ads in the quarter that is down from last year, but above the analyst expectations. But there is a footnote in Comcast's slide deck that says about a third of those net ads were customers who were receiving broadband under free programs and weren't previously counted. Now, without that one third of that number, the net ad number would have been a miss of expectations. Analyst Craig Moffitt noting that the issue is that those customers were not actually acquired in this in this past quarter. They just started paying in this quarter. And he says one reason we've seen such a big sell off is there are these persistent concerns about the challenge of market growth in the wake of the pandemic pull forward. Now, on the flip side, Comcast saying that broadband is at its lowest churn in history, noting that the people who previously had broadband for free are now paying, and they note that COVID programs that ended gave them a one-time benefit this quarter, but will not have a negative impact going forward. Um, So we see shares are now down 7.6%. Carl? Uh, We'll keep an eye on that ahead of uh, Disney in the coming days, Julia. Thank you. As we go to break, uh, don't take your eyes off of Meta, one of the big stories of the morning. We had one of the biggest gaps up post-earnings in the history of its life as a public company, still hanging on to a gain of about 14%. Plus, don't miss the CNBC stock draft taking place 2 p.m. this afternoon. And among those on the clock, Ryan Reynolds, then St. Peter's University, looking for another Cinderella run, plus Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful and others. As we are hanging on to a 1% gain here on the NASDAQ, Tech Check is back after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Deirdre Bosa and Carl Quintanilla. Now, despite the move higher in Meta this morning, the stock is still more than 47% off its 52-week high. So is it cheap now or not? We'll have a look next. But first, let's get a news update with Morgan Brennan. Hey, Morgan. Hey, John. Well, here's what's happening at this hour. The U.S. economy unexpectedly shrank in the first three months of the year. GDP fell 1.4%. It was the first contraction since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. The decline, which is a first reading, was driven by a growing trade deficit and a decrease in spending on inventory by companies. This despite strong consumer spending and business investment. Shares of CNBC parent company Comcast are dropping 8% despite Q1 results that beat estimates. Cable subscriber numbers were weak and the company warned that strong growth for its Peacock streaming service may not repeat. Surprisingly good results for an experimental weight loss drug are driving up Eli Lilly shares, though. 
Participants, obese participants, getting the highest dose uh, lost more on average than 20% of their body weight, or about 50 pounds per person. Lily also posted strong quarterly results. And activist hedge fund Elliott Management has unveiled a 3% stake in Suncor Energy. Elliott is pushing for the oil company to review its business strategy and return more capital to shareholders. Suncor stock is now up 8% on the day. Carl, I'll send it back to you. All right, Morgan, thank you. MetaShares, of course, on pace for their best day since 2016, uh, but only trading back to where it was a week ago. As you know, it's been months of tough trading. Our Mike Santoli has more on the long-term picture, and you can really see where the stock began to collapse last fall. Absolutely. A severe break of a long-term trend. And by the way, let's all uh, feel old. In three weeks, it's 10 years since the Facebook IPO. So this is the entire history of Facebook as a stock, now Meta, of course. Um, and what you'll see here, this is the log scale, which means all percentage moves are portrayed as equal. So you see going from 100 to 200 is the same distance as 200 to 400. It evens it out. What's fascinating is it kind of was riding this this trend line all the way up to a trillion dollar valuation. You're going to have to fudge it a little bit here, but basically that's where it cracked. So what is it? what would it take to get the stock, at least on this long-term basis, back up into that channel, probably up in the mid 200s, uh, 250 or so? Even with this break, though, stock cut in half, the annualized gain in the stock since the IPO, 18% compared to about 6% for the S&P 500. Total return for the S&P, 10%. No matter any way you slice it, uh, massively outperformed since the IPO, even though you've had this massive retrenchment over the last several months. Could you argue it's a relative, it's been, even throughout this whole history, a relative, relative value play within FANG itself? It became that, yes. I'd say over the last uh, four or five years, it became that. It used to kind of swap back and forth with Alphabet. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, for a while, I think that's been the main comp. Uh, and right now, it certainly seems uh, quite cheap to Alphabet, which itself is now being called inexpensive at less than 20 times earnings. Right. It's a fascinating way to look at the chart we have. We don't do that too often. Maybe we should do it uh, more often, right? It's, it's, it's good for longer term. Yeah. Talk, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike Santoli, thanks. Sticking with Meta, let's bring in Verge Editor-in-Chief and CNBC contributor Neely Patel. Uh, Neely, after so much negative sentiment in recent months, Meta is suddenly a growth story with a nice value underpinning. In the words of Mark Mahaney earlier on in the show, what do you think? Do you agree with that assessment? Do you think that there's still cracks here that investors are maybe overlooking right now? I think there's some cracks, right? The numbers, the user numbers in particular, are kind of in that range where you know, a good and smart Facebook product manager can send some notifications around the world and, and make those numbers kind of go any way they want. So I, I think there's a, a little bit of a story there in that, you know, the, the user growth was kind of baked into the stock already before earnings. They beat them. Facebook is very good at being conservative and beating expectations uh, in these moments of crisis. The real story uh, is on the earnings call when face when Mark Zuckerberg said, I think we're setting ourselves up with the metaverse for a great story in 2030, yeah. which is a long time away. <laughs> and he's spending a lot of money. He's got 17,000 employees working on AR and VR. And right now, the problem is TikTok. And competing with TikTok is a ghost, right? We don't know what TikTok's margins inside of ByteDance are. We don't know if ByteDance is choosing to lose money. We don't know if they're uh, holding back their ad load to keep their prices up. That's a hard thing to compete with, and it is taking an ever-growing share of attention away from Facebook right now. And I think you're seeing that split in the earnings report. The word metaverse in the earnings release only one time. <laughs> I counted that as well, uh, Neelay. So I wonder then, 
Is this sort of stories all over again in the sense that Snap represented this kind of existential threat to Facebook, but they rose to the challenge and they ended up doing really well in stories and monetizing it. Is TikTok a different kind of competitor because so much of it is the algorithm, it's technology based and can't forget this is a Chinese company. So is it different this time? I do think it's a little bit different this this time, right? The, the the family of apps is growing overall. That's what kind of drove whatever growth we saw in Facebook this quarter. But Mark is talking about, hey, I've got to start bringing in content from the entire network and showing it to people in an AI-based discovery engine, not a friends and family social feed, mm-hmm. an AI-based discovery engine across the entire network. And, you know, his pitch is, I've got more than just short form video if I do that. I've got text posts, I've got photos, I've got all this stuff to show you. That is a head-on attempt to compete with TikTok, which is obviously based on that network-wide AI recommendation engine that is so powerful. That's a big difference compared to just cloning uh, stories, which basically every social company tried to do (laughs) because the format was intrinsically simple. And the difference at the time was that Snapchat was a messaging platform it was starting to add another kind of messaging component. And you saw that with stories on Instagram, stories on, on Facebook, it was beyond messaging, right? So they could differentiate a product that on its face was very, very similar. Here, I think they're mm. going in and the competition's a little more head on and the user experience is a little better over there. And they've got a long way to go. Neelay, but, but from an investor perspective, I feel like we've seen this movie before with mobile and, and post that and then Cambridge Analytica and post that. Facebook management seems to have this playbook. They go, wow, this is a big problem. We're going to have to spend a ton of money. And then they spend like a half a ton of money, right? And later they make up for it. Uh, then on the cost line, the, the, the earnings end up being better than people feared. And the problem ends up getting solved a little bit faster than they made it sound like it could be solved. I mean, isn't there that argument that Facebook's still pretty strong in its model? It's hitting a rough patch, but it's not exactly crashing. Yeah, I think that's a, a totally strong argument. I think the difference that I would point to this time is that the CEO of Meta is really focused on something that will deliver in 2030. Every other time he's faced this kind of existential risk, he's been focused on the problem at hand, and he hasn't spent $10 billion a year on something else. Now, I understand why he's spending $10 billion a year on something else. He needs to get out of the the grip of Apple and Google, the mobile platforms that right now pose the deepest existential risk to his business. They've turned off tracking. That has hurt them in direct to consumer. It's hurt their advertising business. He's under, I think it's very smart for him to say, look, I'm gonna build my own platform that I think is the next generation of technology. Having that pay off eight years from now is a long bet and the problems right now are TikTok and Apple and he's gotta get through them. Fundamentally, Apple itself is also about to release a headset. So even that long-term bet is gonna come under pressure. And I think a question for everybody, a question for everybody, meta, a question for investors, a question for reporters like me is, Where's Mark's focus? Is it on the big problem right in front of him, or is it on the problem that's eight years from now? Hey, Neelay, we talk a lot about innovation risk and expense risk, but where do you think we are on reg risk, regulatory risk, which we haven't talked about in a while, uh, especially if uh, the GOP takes the House and as we move closer into another election cycle with the midterms? Yeah, I think (laughs) between Elon and Twitter um, and the potential of the House flipping over, Right, the, the whole regula- regulatory apparatus around 230 and speech and content moderation is up for grabs again. I personally feel like this is a video game I've 100%ed like three times 
in the past year <laughs> talking about this stuff. But it seems like we're we're in for the next version of the game. That's happening. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. The real regulatory risk is in Europe, right? Where the Digital Service Act is about to come into play, and the Digital Markets Act is already in play. So Facebook is about to face enormous regulatory yeah. pressure in Europe across all kinds of its businesses. Yeah, Sheryl Sandberg, I mentioned that on the earnings call last night. Another thing that they talked about was headcount that actually grew by 5,800 net new hires. And it was kind of funny, the response that Zuckerberg gave with regards to attrition. He said, you know what, sometimes these moments can be good in terms of the declining share price because we only want people here who want to work here. Did that number surprise you that Facebook has been able to hire so many people amid the labor shortage, amid its you know, stock route as well? I, I love that quote from Mark Zuckerberg. I thought that was great. I don't know that I fully believe the second part where he said, uh, you know, in COVID people were looking for stability, so they stayed and maybe they shouldn't have. Like We're in the middle of the great resignation. But yeah. Facebook overall uh, remains one of the most compelling places to work on the Internet, um, especially if you are interested in a company that is betting big on the next generation of technology. You're interested in doing cutting edge AI work against a huge data set and not for nothing, you want a founder-led company that does have that dual-class stock structure that protects them from uh, changes in the market that might otherwise affect the company. So I think they have a compelling case for why you should work at Facebook, especially on the engineering side. Can yeah. they actually build or ship a lot of these things in time uh, or focus on the, on the challenges in front of them? Right, A lot of that hiring is, is happening on products that don't exist yet. So I think yeah. that's always kind of the dynamic there. Neelay, as always, thank you. Talk to you again soon. Neelay Patel Talk of soon. The Verge. Up next, highlights from my exclusive interview with the CEO of Qualcomm, Cristiano Amon. Shares of Qualcomm climbing back toward the highs of the session, up more than 6%. Stay with us. Welcome back. Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon was with us last hour in an exclusive interview breaking down how digital transformation in the enterprise is driving Qualcomm's Internet of Things business. For example, look at the Microsoft results, uh, and they kind of indicate the resilience of the enterprise in that phenomena of digital transformation in the enterprise. That's driving our, the majority of our IoT revenue. That's our 61% growth in IoT, and that's very resilient, and that's a secular growth, and that's all about digital transformation. We're the company connecting all those devices and provide them with smart processors that they are connect, enabling the cloud economy. And in case you haven't filled up on chips yet, later this afternoon we'll get first quarter results from Intel. Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger is going to join us on Tech Check tomorrow to break down those numbers. Carl, the thread through all of this, I think, is the question of moats. Qualcomm has been arguing that they've got one, uh, not just having to do with smartphones, but having to do with their connected technology overall, and that their valuation uh, isn't showing that yet. Investors will decide, but these results, you know, a feather in his cap. Yep. Uh, we, we sometimes are, are too quick to say, oh, it's an automotive play or uh, it's a mobile phone play. But D, I was struck by what he told John about the household essentially becoming a mini enterprise yeah. given the kinds of <laughs> uh, the level of connectivity you need in your home. Yeah, I know ours is certainly trending that way. Uh, guys, the way he was speaking, though, you wouldn't know that the chip space was under so much pressure. He was so positive. So I liked the part of the discussion, John, when you talked about how 
their share gains doesn't necessarily mean that everyone in this space is doing well. He said that they're growing on a flat market because of them, and it's the premium and high end. So how does that play out or not play out across the rest of the names, the space, especially when we have Intel tonight? We got Intel tonight. We got Apple, too. So on the plus side with Apple, Apple plays in premium, right? So that should be good for them. But then at the same time, is Apple stealing share from somebody the way that Qualcomm mm -hmm. was able to steal Samsung's share yeah. from Samsung, which is a neat trick when they're able to get a bigger share of Samsung's premium phone and take that share from Samsung's chip call. Yeah. Uh, by the way, coming up, uh, PayPal is up on results, bounced off of 82 yesterday. We're going to break down the quarter next. First, though, a look at crypto. Tech Check is back in a moment. Time for a gut check on PayPal shares. They are heading higher, nearly 3.5% after results that came in slightly ahead of expectations. That said, though, the company did slash its full-year guidance and guidance for Q2. Last quarter, you might remember CEO Dan Shulman announcing the company would focus less on absolute user growth. So given the business transition, many on the street now calling the rough outlook a clearing event for the stock and a reset of expectations that were incredibly optimistic about e-commerce trends that had surged during the pandemic. Shares, they are off more than 70% from their highs, seeing a bit of upside today. And it is that big user base, John, that analysts are now maybe refocusing on. Okay. Um, Meta, not the only one. Now, as we head to break, check out the SMH Vanek Semiconductor ETF. Uh, the chip's one of the hardest hit sectors to start the year. That ETF losing about a quarter of its value, but we'll mention it again tomorrow. Don't miss Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger right here on Tech Check. The company is reporting tonight. Don't go away. Welcome back. Apple reporting earnings today after the bell. That's where we'll start today's overvalued, undervalued. Loop Capital sees opportunity in Apple's ad-connected business, saying they're the fourth biggest in the space behind Google, Meta, Amazon, Apple's partnership with Google Search, well, Loop is estimating it contributed up to $18 billion uh, worth of ads in 2021, and part of that broader services story. It's not just about hardware sales. Steve Kovac joins us now with more. I, I guess the flip side of being excited about ads, Steve, is the relative weakness in the consumer versus enterprise spending on PCs. Uh, even though the premium end of the market has been doing well, is the consumer weakness enough to kind of hit Apple where it might hurt? Well, John, you got to keep in mind, this is just such a new thing. So for Apple, the, these app install ads, those are the ads you see when you search for like Spotify or something and you see an ad to install SoundCloud instead for a similar app. This is very new for them. And they're also, you got to keep in mind, they're, they're siphoning off um, some of the ad uh, that was spent in this category from the folks like Facebook and Snap and YouTube because of the uh, ATT tracking privacy thing that they put in about a year ago. So it's all upside for them from here because they're still launching this in new countries. They just launched it in China and they're going to spread it out throughout the world. So it really boosts their services revenue, especially as there's some concerns right now, John, about app store sales uh, growth slowing uh, as people come out of the pandemic like we've seen with other software companies. Steve, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about. Where are we on app store fees in that services uh, complex? It was interesting, Senator Pachai on the Alphabet call made a point to say that 99% of developers are paying that lower fee. Right. We know that they've kind of moved quicker. What do we expect to hear, if anything, from Apple? 
Yeah, we already got some data, actually, D, about this from Apple. And last or early this year, they put out their report of, of how much they've paid developers. And it was by a long shot higher than I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it was higher than it's ever been. And that kind of gives us a hint that, A, the App Store grew like crazy last year. And B, yes, people are, are, are getting their developers are getting more money out of the App Store. Steve, go back. Thank you. We know you'll be watching. Yeah, see you later tonight. And if you missed part of the show, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check, back in a moment. Dow still holding 141. Uh, we're going to watch Meta, uh, obviously, this afternoon. Qualcomm and ServiceNow, some of the biggest gainers of the morning. And then we just mentioned Apple and Intel, but we'll get Amazon as well after the bell at 4 p.m., John. Uh, B of A says <laughs> um, a uh, step up in buybacks and a deceleration of CapEx would be nice. Yeah, with <laughs> Apple, it's taking share with Max. We've seen that in the past. Question is, is that enough to offset negative impact from a more price-sensitive consumer? And D, uh, Intel's been losing share to AMD yeah. in consumer. Is enterprise strength with hyperscalers and PCs enough to offset that? That's my question. Yeah, good questions. And, you know, big tech so far has actually been able to sort of at least manage or surpass expectations, which has been good for the markets. The Nasdaq up seven-tenths of a percent today. Uh, Amazon, you want to watch e-commerce, of course, but... That advertising and cloud, those higher margin businesses, uh, Carl, are they going to make up for that potential slowdown in the core? Uh, meantime, uh, the week's not quite over. we got to get through those prints tonight and then tomorrow. Quite a few macro indicators on inflation, EU CPI for April, uh, the U.S. Employment Cost Index, and March CP, uh, PCE for the United States. So we got a lot more wood to chop. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.